went to bed at a reasonable hour, like 10 o'clock, something like that. And I woke up sometime later, I want to say probably around 11 or 12. And I, I thought I heard a noise. I don't know if it was a bump or a door opening. or I, I wasn't quite sure what I heard. I started to hear like very distinct footsteps. There's no guns in the house. I hear the footsteps coming up the stairs and I see a flashlight sort of sweeping around. Hey gang, if you're listening to this right now, odds are you watch videos on the main channel and you've seen how important speed and accuracy are in a gunfight. That's why Active Self-Protection recommends the Range Tech Shot Timer. It's the lowest cost shot timer on the market that we're aware of. Bluetooth compatible with any Android or iOS device. Visit them at rangetechtimer.com, rangetechtimer.com, and tell them your friends at the Active Self-Protection Podcast sent you. Alrighty, gang, welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your video and audio host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed. Uh, before I introduce this week's guest, who you can see either this way or this way, depending on how the how my service decides to put him on the screen, um, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to encourage you to go to whatever uh, platform you listen to this on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, YouTube, leave a comment, leave a five-star review and tell your friends because the show really is taking off. And if it weren't for you guys watching and folks like today's guest writing in, we wouldn't have a show. Also, I've gotten some comments um, on the Spotify app that I can't respond to directly. Um, and some of those comments are, how do I write in to see if I'm someone that could be on the show, on the podcast? So that is just my email address, Mike at ActiveSelfProtection.com. Mike at ActiveSelfProtection.com. And those emails come right to me. There's no assistant. I don't have an editor. I don't have a producer. I'm it. I'm the guy. I'm the podcast. So uh, I will get that and read it. And regardless of whether I think it's a good story, I'll reach out back to you and we'll, we'll discuss it. So with that said, today's guest comes to us from Ontario, Canada. Uh, his name is Chris, and he is single. Uh, Chris, I didn't ask, generally speaking, in the broadest sense, what kind of work do you do? What kind of What field of endeavor are you in? I should also clarify, I'm not married, but I'm also not single. I do live with my girlfriend, and oh, if boy. she ever somehow listens to this, she would uh, give me hell for uh, for not clarifying that. Yeah, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, I promise. We're just we're, we're getting off on the wrong foot here. No, no, um, he's not married, I should say. That's, that's correct. So um, what kind of work do you do, uh, Chris? Yeah, so I'm a software developer, and up until pretty recently, I worked for a very well-known uh, like online commerce platform. We'll leave it at that. But I was okay. unfortunately laid off a few weeks ago. Uh, so if anyone listening to this is looking for a software developer, uh, you know, hit up Mike and maybe we can uh, get yeah. connected. But I'll put you so, yeah, no, seriously, I'm currently I'll put, looking for work. Write me an email. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it along. No worries. I can't get, we're not going to give his email out over this. But if you, if you send me something, if you want to employ this guy, let us know. Uh, we'll, we'll hook it up. So talk to us about outside of your um, field of endeavor. Uh, what sort of, uh, upbringing did you have as far as self-defense? I know Canada doesn't have the same, obviously the same gun culture as the United States, but were you, prior to your incident, sort of a self-defense-minded person? Did you ever go shooting guns back when they were legal in Canada? Yeah, so not really. Uh, my father was uh, in the reserves with the Canadian military for most of his life, but even so, he never really was a big fan of firearms, so to my knowledge, we didn't have any in the house. And self-defense and that kind of thing never really uh never really played a big part in my day-to-day -day life i did a little bit of judo for a few years although it's been a while since i've done that and i did uh, i did get the opportunity to go uh shoot clays a little bit with my dad when i was younger but 
at the time of the incident, I really had no uh, no real interest or experience with self-defense. So talk to our viewers and listeners about sort of the the, the um, state of gun laws in Canada. I know I, I talked to Stephen Gutowski on my on our, our news segment at the end, Gutowski Files. Don't forget to stick around for that, folks. Um, a while back, and we, we, we had discussed the fact that AR-15s have been completely outlawed um, to include you can't possess them anymore, even if you own them when they were legal. Do you know anything about that? And like, what, what is it? Does the average person in Canada have a gun at home or, or not? Or what's the culture kind of like up there? Yeah, so I'm not uh, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not exactly an expert on Canadian firearms law, although I do know a bit because at this point, at least I am a like firearms owner. Um, AR-15s, like you mentioned, they are illegal to purchase and there's a it's a little bit complicated. People still own AR-15s in Canada. People are still in possession of them. And there's a buyback or a you know confiscation scheme in the works that's been promised for the past three years. Um, but other than that, like, and oh, and handguns as well. Handguns recently got uh, got the ban as well. Um, similar to AR-15s, people are still allowed to possess them. You just can't buy new ones. So the climate in Canada is not exactly friendly towards gun ownership. That being said, there are maybe two estimates, like two to four million gun owners in Canada. Um, to have a gun in Canada, you need a license. So you need to do like course, background check, all that stuff. Um, and certain weapons you need to have registered as well. So an AR-15 would be called, at well, at the time it would be known as a restricted weapon. Now it's a prohibited weapon. It's it's really, it's stupidly complicated. It's a big pain to uh, to get into. Um, but there, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not non-existent. So there's plenty of hunters and sports shooters. But as far as self-defense goes, even though you could use a weapon for self-defense, you're not allowed to own a weapon for self-defense. So if you happen to have a gun, you know, in your safe and you used it for self-defense, that's fine. But you wouldn't be allowed when you're going through your licensing and going through your training and all that. You're not allowed to say, oh, I'm buying a gun for the purpose of self-defense. And if it looked like, so for example, like if someone broke into your house and you happen to have a baseball bat and you fought them off, You'd better have a glove and a ball as well, okay. or it would look like you owned that baseball bat for the purpose of self-defense. So that's um, that's pretty common with other like Commonwealth countries that have these uh, sorts of laws. So it's you know it, it is what it is. I'm I'm not super happy about it, but overall I'm still like you know I, I like Canada as a country. It's, it has its uh, its issues with that sort of thing though. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure now. Correct me if I'm wrong. There is a statute, I think a national statute up there that if you do have to hit someone over the head with a baseball bat who's breaking into your house, you immediately have to apologize to him for hitting him. Is that correct? You have to say sorry? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. We're just, I'm just poking fun at our friends to the North. Canada, I think Canada is still the number two listener to the audio version of the podcast. So go Canada. We appreciate you. Um, I, I know you're not necessarily the, the, you know um, super knowledgeable about gun laws and stuff, but we have the National Rifle Association and a bunch of other smaller organizations in the states sort of fighting for our handgun rights, at least purportedly. Is there anything like that or any kind of movement like that that you're aware of in Canada or any organization that's trying to change the laws to be more, well, there's no Second Amendment, but sort of pro-gun ownership? Yeah, so, I mean, politically speaking, most of the major political parties in Canada are not in favor of uh, gun ownership. The like Conservative Party, say uh, they sort of claim to support it, 
Uh, as far as organizations go, we have two big ones, as far as I'm aware, which is the CCFR, Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. Uh, they actually were recently embroiled in a bit of uh, controversy, but you can look that up if, if you're interested. Um, and we also have the CSSA, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Um, and both of those do sort of advocacy work, uh, political work as well. Uh, if you're a member, you'll have uh, like liability insurance through them, which is required for going to some ranges. And then there's, you know, smaller organizations as well. But those are the two that I'm familiar with. Okay, very good. Good to know. I didn't know either one of those things, so I'm glad we talked. So talk to us about the incident that you wrote in about. Now, as many of the people who write in say, as a preface, uh, telling a little bit about their story is, I wasn't sure if this was interesting enough or was uh, had a lesson. I definitely think it does. Um, and it's a little unique because it's in Canada and not the United States. So um, having a gun in the house in Canada is far less likely. I'm, I think I'm safe in saying that. Um, mm -hmm. So you were home. About what time did this stuff kick off and kind of walk us through what happened? Yes. Yeah, so this happened in, I think, around 2018, about five years ago. So just a bit of background. I had moved back to my family's home. I was taking a year off of university to uh, to do some work. At the time, both of my parents had moved out of province and both of my brothers had also moved out of the house a couple hours away, one of them for work, one of them for university as well. So it was just me and my dog living in the house. He's actually sleeping behind me on the couch right now. So he's still with me. Um, so just a regular night, came home from work, um, you know, did all my nightly chores, whatever, had dinner, set myself up for bed, locked the doors, put the dog to bed downstairs and went upstairs to my bedroom. And I sleep with the door closed, which is relevant later. Okay. Um, you know, I went to bed at a reasonable hour, like 10 o'clock, something like that. And I woke up Sometime later, I want to say probably around 11 or 12, um, not like a crazy early hour, uh, like, you know, the next morning. And I, I thought I heard a noise. I don't know if it was like a bump or a door opening or I, I wasn't quite sure what I heard, but my dog didn't bark and he's, uh, he's usually a pretty good guard dog. So mm -hmm. I sort of dismissed it, said, okay, well, if he's, if he's downstairs and he's not making any noise, then probably nothing. So I, tried to get back to sleep, but I kept hearing like little, like little bumps or little, little noises. And of like, I know uh, you've talked about this on the channel before, but it's very easy to rationalize those things and say it's nothing. And that's what I was doing sure. until I started to hear like very distinct footsteps. And so this is when I was thinking to myself, okay, sounds like somebody's in the house. And I was not expecting any to, anybody to be in the house. Like mm -hmm. I mentioned, you know, my family lives, like at least three or four hours away, hadn't heard anything from them. So at this point, I'm definitely awake and I've got my phone on me. And yeah, like you mentioned, there's there's no guns in the house. And really in my bedroom, there's no weapons at all. I was looking around thinking of looking for like, a, I don't know, a two by four or a, like a lamp or something I could grab, but there was really nothing. So I, uh, I get my phone out. And if, you have, if you have a two-by-four, you'd better have a hammer and a nail or a saw or something. You can't just have the two-by-four laying around for self-defense, for, for God's sake, man. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, with my phone in my hand, I sort of lift myself out of bed, trying to be pretty quiet so that I don't uh, alert whoever is in the house to my presence. And then I hear the footsteps coming up the stairs, and I see a flashlight sort of sweeping around. From under the door, I can see the flashlight uh, sweeping around. 
And so at this point, I okay, somebody's in the house with a flashlight. Um, you know, they're up to no good. So I, I call the police, and I just remember uh, standing there on the phone with nine one one, feeling absolutely helpless, like totally powerless and defenseless. So I, I'd done like a little bit of judo at this point, but right. I really was not uh, keen on someone busting down that door and me having to use my hands to defend myself for whatever uh, you know purposes this person had to be in my house. So I'm uh, I'm on the phone with nine one one, whispering like very because the door it's uh, you know it's an older house so you can hear pretty much everything through the uh, through the door. So mm-hmm. I'm whispering my address to them, letting them know what's going on. And fortunately, whoever was outside the room uh, decided to go into another room across the hall. And I hear them go in, shut the door and start sort of going through things in uh, in the other room. So at this point, I'm I'm convinced that I'm being burgled. Um, and I'm still just standing there, you know, crapping my pants, basically hoping that uh, this uh, this person doesn't bust down my door. Fortunately, police response time in my neighborhood, um, very good. So within, I don't know, maybe three or four minutes, I heard some cars pull up outside and I hear some, like what turns out to be police officers. I hear some police officers come to the door downstairs and they open the door. Now, if you remember, the door was locked when I went to bed. Mm -hmm. So they open the door and I hear them sort of walking around the house and I hear them come up the stairs and eventually one of them opens up my door. Uh, so, so this is a bit of a funny moment for me because I'm standing there in my underwear with my phone and there's this big burly police officer coming in and I'm, I feel very small. I feel very, uh, very right. small and vulnerable standing there in my undies with uh, a bunch of cops coming into my room. And they basically tell me, um, you know, there's no sign of forced entry. Doesn't look like uh, there's anything, you know, broken downstairs. Nothing's missing. TV's on the wall. And do you know this guy? And I look out into the hallway, and my brother is uh, is standing there, looking a little bit sheepish. And he was, you know, he was so considerate. He really didn't want to wake me up, mm-hmm. so he walked around very quietly downstairs. He used his flashlight because he didn't want to turn the lights on. Um, and then when he got into his room, he was, you know, sorting out his business. And uh, I, I was I was very unhappy with him. He he had obviously not. Uh, not called me or texted me in advance to let me know he was coming home. So the cops, uh, you know, they had a good laugh about it. I think uh, they sort of said, okay, nothing else to see here. They shuffled downstairs and I could hear them outside uh, sort of laughing with each other. I'm sure it was a, a big relief for them. They wouldn't have a, uh, you know, home invasion on their hands. Sure. So I, I guess I'm glad I provided some, uh, some entertainment for the local cops that night. Yeah. I mean, plus there's no report to write, no evidence to collect. Um, and they can go back down to the, what do you guys have up there? Tom Hortons? Is that what it's called? Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Yes. <laughs> Tim Hortons and get some coffee and then tell a funny story about this poor guy in his underwear with a cell phone in his hand. Um, so, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for using the correct term burgled. Um, you know, so pet peeve, it's kind of like the gun community's pet peeves when someone refers to a magazine as a clip and people get all upset about that. Um, for cops, it's when people use the wrong crime terminology. And so, but your house does not get robbed. You can get robbed. Your house can get burglarized or you can be burgled as it were. So that's, um, always nice to, to hear someone using the right term. Um, let me ask you this. So assuming you had, um, a baseball bat, a two by four or a gun, 
in your room, have you thought through what you might have done if that had been the case? Or would you have just done the same thing, but just had a gun in case you came in the room? Yeah, I would have done the exact same thing. Like I've I've given some thought about this and I'm now like a, a much more sort of defense minded person in terms of you know having a plan for uh, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have done the same thing. Uh, at least where I lived at the time, I knew the police response time was going to be good. It's a pretty nice neighborhood. So I wasn't, uh, you know, I was confident that they would show up. And I, I definitely wouldn't have like uh, busted down the door or, uh, you know, gone out to confront this person. I, I would have been happily staying in my room waiting for uh, waiting for the cops to show up. Yeah, that's, that's an attitude. I think that's probably exactly what John Correa would recommend. That's what I would certainly would recommend. Um, you know, we've had we've had unfortunate incidents in in the states where people have gone downstairs when they heard a bump in the night. And one time, that bump in the night was a sheriff's deputy, and the guy comes down to the door and he's got a gun in his hand, and the deputy freaks out and shoots the guy. We had a lot of comments on that video because we kind of said, well, you know, if if there if you think someone's in your house or there's a problem, like just stay in your room, outsource your violence, call nine one one. Some people will buck hard against that and say, well, no, it's my right to go to my door with a gun and confront whoever it is or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, it's your right. Absolutely. As an American, it's your right. But, um, would you rather someone steal your TV and get caught two weeks later breaking into another house or get caught, you know, turning that TV in at a pawn shop, or would you rather risk getting into a critical incident and having to shoot someone, uh, and this is assuming, you know, you and your significant other are alone in the house. You're in a room with a locked door. You're not worried about other people, kids in the house or whatever. Uh, and this sort of thing happens. Why wouldn't you just call the police, have your firearm with you, be ready to defend yourself, but like, just let whatever happened happen. That's, that's my two cents because I know you think that it's, you're going to feel justified having shot the guy who's stealing your TV, but I promise you odds are you're going to have a a bad, bad day and a whole bad legal process on your hands, especially depending on who the investigators are and who the D, uh, the DA is or whatever they, what do they call the uh, prosecuting attorney up there in Canada, district attorney or something different? Do you know? Uh, I, I think it would be, uh, the, the district attorney as well. Although I guess, uh, we're still technically a, a little bit of a monarchy. So I guess when you're looking at uh, cases, it's usually the crown or the queen versus whoever, I don't know if that's so oh, interesting. That's relevant. So do they, do they wear the silly wig still in court? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. I'll ask either here or there. We're getting, we're getting far afield. Um, I think a lesson for everyone is, uh, if you're going to go to a house late at night, play it safe and let the person know you're coming. Um, this is just something that could happen to anybody. Um, yeah, let them know you're coming or at least text. If, if you, if he'd have texted you, not trying to be hard on your brother, but if he had texted you, the minute you would have picked up your phone to call 911, you would see there was a text waiting for you that says, hey, it's Larry, I'm coming over in an hour, don't shoot me, or whatever uh, he he might say. Um, you know, I can't, I can't tell Canadians don't live in Canada where you can't defend yourself, because it sounds to me like like they're outlawing self-defense. If, if it's true that, you know, if, to have a baseball bat or whatever other thing um, strictly for self-defense sounds like it's illegal, and that's unfortunate. Um I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, like I was saying, it's not illegal to defend yourself. It's just illegal to possess a weapon for self-defense. Now, I, I think that's stupid, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, but it, it is like a, a distinction. So people have successfully defended themselves in Canada and not been convicted of a crime. But you typically will be, at the very least, charged with a crime. So I know you were saying in, in the U.S. you want to 
avoid uh, those kinds of legal situations when you're contemplating going outside your house to investigate a bump in the night. Well, if it's going to be a problem in the U.S., you bet it's going to be a much bigger problem in Canada. Uh, you know, it's legally very questionable to, uh, I mean, even if I was in my own house and I never left my room, I could still be charged with something. So going outside and investigating is almost uh, entirely out of the question. Oh, that just seems crazy to me and probably to all the other Americans listening. But, you know, people in Canada who are listening, we have a lot of listeners in Canada and the UK and Australia. So uh, leave us a comment. Let us know if that's kind of how things are where you are as well and what you think about it. Um, before I let you go, Chris, is there anything we wanted to talk about that I missed? I don't want to I don't want to leave anything out. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I just want to like for all the American listeners and for you know anyone else in Canada as well. Uh, it's very important to uh, you know think about politics and to think about uh, the laws that are being passed in your country. Um, I don't necessarily know if I would have been better off with uh, a weapon or a gun. I mean, in this case, it wouldn't have mattered because it was my brother and it would have been really unfortunate if I had bonked him with a bat. But, uh, you know, I think I would have felt a lot safer if I had something more than uh, my hands, my feet and my pillow to defend myself with. And that really, uh, depending on where you live, that can be a, unfortunately a, uh, a bit of a political, a political matter, not just a practical matter. Well, at Active Self-Protection, we believe that everyone, left, right, center, gay, straight, black, white, you name it, uh, no matter what, uh, who you are, what you are, and what country you're in, or what state you're in for that matter, has the right to defend themselves and, and should have the right to the tools necessary to do that. You know, Had you been in your room uh, that night and it had been a bad guy, I, I much would have preferred you have access to a firearm than not. Uh, had you been in your room and it was your brother... And he came through the door. I don't think you were about to shoot him in the face without checking who it was first. You know what I mean? Because uh, people, uh, people who watch our our channel and listen to the podcast tend to be relatively sensible people. I've yet to have a nonsensical person write in to be on the show. Um, so I, 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 you know, that's just our our stance. Uh, we try to keep it apolitical wherever possible. However, fire, you know, especially in the states. I don't know how what it is like in Canada, but in the states. Talking about firearm policy is necessarily political. There's one party that's purportedly for it and one party that's against it. Not that I believe in politicians. Uh, a good friend posted a meme recently that says, for you to think a politician really cares about you in your day-to-day -day life, you're like the guy who thinks the stripper really likes him. Um, she doesn't. Uh, she's just she's just working you. Chris, I appreciate you coming on so much. Um, Canadian listeners, uh, give us a shout-out. Leave a comment. Leave a review. We appreciate you. Chris, thanks again. Yep. Uh, thanks for having me. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Gutowski Files, starring Stephen Gutowski. He is the, check my notes, founder of TheReload.com and the host of the Weekly Reload podcast. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm I, glad you keep notes on my official titles. If we have files Just on you, Mr. Gutowski, if you know everything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So talk to us about the Weekly Reload podcast. Who was on there this week? Yeah, this week we had Ed Morrissey of Hot Air, who is one of my favorite conservative political analysts out there because he's somebody that isn't just like a partisan or trying to always spin things to his side's advantage or whatever. He's a very knowledgeable, insightful guy who tries to be honest about what's going on. We had him on to talk about the Republican primary fight between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and sort of the gun politics that have come in already to that. And, you know, he's, he's actually one of my inspirations for getting into this business into writing 
Uh, he was one of the first people I met when I started doing this way back in 2009, 2008. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So I was really happy to have him on. It's a good episode. So we're going to be talking about two different articles over at TheReload.com, the first of which was written by our very own Stephen Gutowski, and it is a follow-up to what we talked about last week in this space about the uh, pistol brace ban uh, and there being some sort of a stay by the Fifth Circuit, and there's been an update to that. They asked for clarification. So what is the clarification? Yeah, there was some confusion over exactly how far this injunction that blocks the ATF from enforcing the pistol brace ban goes like who does it apply to because uh, the the ruling said named plaintiffs but the named plaintiffs included the firearms policy coalition which is a gun rights group and it included a company called maxim defense and so the question was does this apply to all the fpc members and does it apply to all the customers who buy pistol braced guns or just e- or maxim just defense? everybody right was the other possibility Right. And now, so yeah, on the first possibility there, it's not a nationwide injunction. It does not apply to everyone. The ATF can still enforce this in theory against people who aren't covered by this injunction. And, but they did announce the panel, this is a three judge panel that's looking at this case, that maximum defense customers and FPC members are considered to be part of this injunction. They're considered to be the name, part of the name plaintiffs. And so the ATF can't go after FPC members or Maxim Defense customers for violating the, the pistol brace ban. All right. Good to know. Um, so there we go. We followed up on that. That's good to know. Um, another article over at The Reload by a new name, one I've not heard before, not Gutowski or Fogelman. It's by Stephen. Is it Bull? Is that pronounced correctly? Yes. Stephen Bull. The, the... He's our new intern for the summer. Um we, we work with a program called the National Journalism Center, which is part of the Young America's Foundation. And they produce some really high quality interns who are looking to get experience in the news writing business. You know, God love them. I, you know, uh, it's, it's not the most fun business all the time, but they're, uh, they, these interns are particularly high quality, in my opinion. I've worked with NJC interns for years. And so Steven is our new one, and he has already done some really good reporting, as we're about to talk about here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the title is USC Highlights Gun Control Group's Talking Points and Guide Intended to Influence De- uh, Hollywood's Depiction of Guns, which is pretty interesting title. So tell us what uh, what's happening, uh, what's going on with that article. Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? I mean, I think a lot of gun owners, if you watch gun, how guns are depicted in TV and movies, you probably have your own set of critiques about how they're depicted either from a functional standpoint, right. Uh, or from how gun ownership is depicted mm-hmm. often in reckless ways. And the guy does deal with that to some degree. Uh, he talks a little bit about safe storage and, you know, gives some advice on you should show characters that own guns, storing those guns properly. Although they're, their definition of safe storage might be a little more expansive than what a lot of gun owners or gun rights like, like, like in a they, bank vault, not in their house. They, their definition of safe storage is that your gun should always be uh, stored, uh, unloaded and separate from the ammunition, which is good advice for most of your firearms. But obviously uh, I think most gun owners would want to have at least one firearm that they can access. Uh, one would hope. Yes that is loaded, right? That's sort of the whole purpose of owning a gun for self home defense. But, um, you know, uh, the main problem, however, 
you, know, you have these areas of agreement. There's some stuff on suicide and the contagion effect and mass shootings and how perhaps Hollywood or news industry can avoid contributing to the contagion effects. Uh, there's been a lot of study actually on suicides in particular and how they're depicted in media potentially can lead to more suicides happening, especially like a, a famous person kills themselves, depending on how that's portrayed in news media or, or entertainment media, it can actually have negative real world consequences for people who have, who are suicidal and suicidal ideation. Uh, so there's some stuff in here that is probably going to be less controversial. However, at the same time, there's quite a lot in here that deals with the myth so-called, uh, according to the, the guide of the good guy with a gun mm. or, or the myth that uh, guns make us safer. And so you can kind of already get the idea from that, but uh, they, they cite 51 sources in this guide and 20 of them are to the Brady website, Brady um, United, which is a gun control group and every town for gun safety, which is another gun control group. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't cite any um, sources from the other side of this issue. And they make a lot of claims that are really uh, disputed by gun rights advocates at the same time. Yeah. So there's never, there's a, it's a myth is something that's literally never happened if I'm defining that correctly. So there's never been a good, good, good person with a gun to help save lives of people who were being actively murdered. I can, I've had people well, on my show that have done that. I mean, I don't know. I, am I, am right. I wrong? Well, they, I think they're, they're kind of the critique and you hear, this is again, a common gun control group talking point uh, that you hear from every town in Brady all the time. The critique is not that nobody has ever used a gun in self-defense. It's more that guns make you, uh, less safe overall. Mm. And they'll point to a bunch of studies about, uh, where they claim there's increased risk of, of suicide or, or murder inside the home that obviously, as I, as, uh, you know, you can imagine these are highly disputed Points. Yeah, I can, I, can dispute, I can dispute them right now, uh, just as an anecdotal evidence. Um, I've had guns in my house ever since I left my parents' house when I was 20 or however old I was. Uh, I haven't murdered anybody. No one's killed themselves. No one's killed anybody else ever in all that time in you know, 20, 30 years or so. Um, and I've lost a mother and a brother to suicide, and neither one of them had a gun. So anecdotal though it might be uh you know they found a way to do what they wanted to do regardless a gun maybe makes it faster but i just don't buy the argument that, that somebody who's considering killing themselves is going to be egged on or encouraged by the presence of a gun to do something they really want to do if you're in that position you're in a bad spot so anyway not going to rabbit hole too much yeah no and and again this is what i mean like they they make a lot of assertions in this guide that comes straight from gun control groups, talking points, literally, because they link, that's the resources right. they're linking to, uh, which are highly disputed. Like what, you know, uh, wherever you come down on guns, um, obviously I think the two of us is fairly obvious where we come down as far as whether, as far as owning guns, but, um, and their, their potential benefits versus their potential drawbacks. But, you know, th this is not a down the line sort of, guide it's right. there very much a guide that pushes people towards the gun control um 
talking points and wants them to be more incorporated in Hollywood, which was just sort of another thing that I would imagine a lot of listeners, when you watch TV shows or movies, um, as much as the guy with the gun is often the good guy, right? A cop or or an anti-hero or whatever, John Wick or right. somebody like that. Um, I don't know that a lot of people take away the political message that Hollywood thinks guns are good, right? I would imagine most people generally feel the other way that Hollywood doesn't, uh, that, that Hollywood would support more gun control um, as opposed to, you know, fewer gun restrictions. So that's the other kind of odd thing about this. And if, you, if you just casually look at some of the most outspoken anti-gun people in Hollywood and then look at their movie posters, you know, half of them, they have, they have an AR or, or an M nine or something, you know, in their, in their hands. But uh, I, I wonder if we could maybe push to, to maybe you and I could be the people who set up a guide for Hollywood on proper gun handling in movies. Like there's only been, well, I don't know if you guys watch Barry, any of our viewers also watch Barry on HBO, um, entertaining yeah, show. The season, the, the finale was a little weird, whatever. But um, Neil yeah. Widener and I were discussing, I think you and I might've talked about it. The gun handling in that is really outstanding. Like it's really well done. Like he must've trained somewhere uh, because everything he does is reloads. The way he holds the gun, everything is, is pretty spot yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, I will say that since John Wick, really, John Wick was kind of one of the first, I mean, he has that famous shootout scene that people praise for being realistic. Or technically, whatnot. technically accurate. Yeah. Right. And John Wick is sort of, you know, all these things, it's kind of like, well, to some degree compared to what you saw in like eighties action right. movies, uh, the, the gun handling is more realistic. John Wick shoots like a competitive shooter does, except he's, shooting a bunch of Russian mobsters instead of cardboard paper. So but, many villains, by the way. I don't know where they so, find all these henchmen. It's so many henchmen. I don't know. Uh, and it has gotten more and more ridiculous as these movies have gone on, yeah. in a good way, honestly. But but yeah, no, that, that's the other thing. Is like, I think a lot of gun owners would look at how Hollywood portrays guns and think there is some agreement here. Like they don't, first of all, they don't do a very good job of portraying safe gun handling um, in 90% of the movies and tv that you watch uh and that there's probably some level of agreement that it would be better if hollywood did show guns in a more accurate way uh than they do but i think that where the disagreement comes in is that usc thinks that they should be writing scripts to try and persuade gun owners that guns are dangerous or not that the balance between the positives and negatives of, of gun ownership are uh, more towards the negative side. I mean, here's, here's a quote um, from the section on myths about the good guy with a gun or that guns make us safer. Uh, it said the guide reads quote, the myth, this myth is used to justify lenient concealed carry legislation that allows people to carry loaded guns in public. However, a recent study found American states that allow concealed carry have higher rates of gun homicide than those that do not. This is the sort of talking points that they're putting in this guide, right? Which, one, they're kind of confused because literally every state allows concealed carry. So Mm -hmm. not exactly sure what they're referencing here um, or, or what they mean to say. But, you know, you get the idea that their their base argument here is that Hollywood too often presents somebody with a gun as a good guy who's who saves the day 
and that leads to less gun control. That's their argument, and they don't, and that's a negative thing according to them. Uh-huh. So, you know that that's what's, and this is not a new thing either. To be honest with you, like this is uh, a well-established campaign by the gun control groups, especially Brady has been doing this for a long time to work with Hollywood script makers and show producers, movie producers to really inject the, their talking points into these movies. Like it's, they talk, they're, they're, they, they do this. They're probably, it's public. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is something that they openly advocate for Brady in this, uh, the press release for this, guide uh chris brown who's the president of brady said quote hollywood leaders want to use their talents and voices to inspire positive cultural change outraged outraged by the tragedy in uvalde this time last year about 300 leading writers directors and producers signed brady's open letter committing to modeling gun safety on screen now they have a roadmap to turn that commitment into tangible change so uh and then you can also look at for instance brady consulted on I'm sure most people don't remember this movie, but there's a movie called Miss Sloan back in 2016, which was a movie about a gun control lobbyist who gets gun control bill passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did very poorly, but this was that was a movie where Brady directly consulted on the scripts for it. And this USC um, center that put out this guide, they also consult on scripts they, for all kinds of, well-known TV shows and movies. So Mm -hmm. this is not a a small thing. It's not a minor uh, uh, new development. This is something that's been ongoing in Hollywood with these gun control groups. And I mean, they're having a lot of impact. At least they're having a lot of uh, influence in terms of storylines that show up in some movies, even Barry, you know, you mentioned Barry and I don't know that Barry is specifically had anyone from Brady or other groups um, consult on scripts, but as much as they portray that, you know, there's a lot of shooting in Barry and not that it's portrayed in a positive light nope. because there aren't really good characters in Barry. Yeah, there's no good, there's no good guys in Barry, except for maybe the female detective's dad. He might, I might consider him right. a good guy or the detective herself. But right. Gets, yeah. Yeah. We don't want to spoil everything. Sure. Uh, it's a great show. People should watch it, but there's also a lot of sort of subtle commentary on American gun culture. Yeah, he walks into Walmart stuff. guns and he right. walks out with two ARs with extended magazines. And I'm like, okay. There's a bunch of times where, yeah, I mean, the, the, the series finale has the whole scene where he, yeah, where he goes to buy his guns and he's just straps himself full of guns and walks out of this, walks through the like toy aisle to go out the store to kill a bunch of people mm-hmm. and nobody cares. And it's meant to be a comment on American gun culture. There's this, there's a scene earlier where one of Barry's victims family wants to kill him. And so they go and they're having this conversation about how they want to kill him. And they're doing it in front of, they're in the gun store talking in front of the gun dealer who has no qualms with this conversation. whatsoever. Once they finish and once they decide they do want to kill him, um, you know, they, he sells them the gun like he doesn't care. Right. There's a, there's stuff like that um, is probably more what they're going for. I think. And then also that, that ends poorly because the, the, the family members out for revenge don't have any actual gun training. And so they, they kill one, the one kills the other one um, accidentally instead of killing Barry. And it's sort which of, which is a comment in and of itself as well. You're more likely to. Yeah. 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 So that, that's sort of what they're going for more. Like, I, I think a gun owner watches a lot of Hollywood and sees all of the, 
inaccuracies and sort of ignorance about how guns actually work uh, at play. And so that's where you can get like, you watch Barry and you and I watch Barry or John Wick and think, wow, that's, that's like a way you could actually, a gun could actually operate. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of, in, uh, that's, that's the low bar that you're operating off of as a gun owner. Um, whereas the gun control groups are more concerned about the messaging in the shows, even sort of implicit messaging about, you know, a, there's a whole section on police officers in this too, uh, where basically the good guys are people who show up with guns and shoot people. And that's, um, and they don't like that message that somebody could use a gun to save the day essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, some of that message, frankly, sometimes is not right? like there's a lot of, in TVs and movie, there's a lot of depiction of use of force. That's just straight up illegal. That's portrayed as positive or good, especially right? like by the cops, like stuff the cops yes. can do that will mm-hmm. get you fired and, and jailed. So for folks who yep. aren't familiar um, with so. Brady or with every town, probably most of our viewers and listeners are, are at least passingly familiar with them Yeah, to have those to be your main sources on something, you know, a, a, something about guidance on guns in movies. It would be like if you had a poll is Giordano's pizza delicious? And me and Steven were the only people in the poll. And we're like, yes, Steven. Yes. Obviously it is. Um, it's kind of like that. We, we, we know the answers we're going to get from these two groups. Almost, almost, almost all yeah. the time. I think that's, that's one of the big takeaways is like, you can look at, just look at the reference sheet of this guide and you see there's 50 links and 20 of them go to gun control groups and none of them go to uh, anyone of a different perspective right. on the issue. Well, I mean, the guide is going to be what you expect it to be at that point. And, you know, it's, it's, it's another one of these interesting things where, again, there's probably some areas of agreement, even on that police part, right? They're, they spend a lot of this guide talking about police use of force and how it's depicted in guns. There's even sort of a somewhat odd point that they make about how most bad guys who get shot by the police in TV, supposedly, according to a study that they cite, you know, a lot of this stuff is one study one and there's, you know, it's not the same as perhaps the suicide data that they talk about where there's, there's a lot of research on that. That's not really disputed or controversial necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of the gun related stuff is one study here, one study there. And they're, they're often highly controversial studies um, promoted by the gun control groups. But um you know, they talk about how use of force by police in TV, they tend to be shooting white guys in TV shows. Um, and that that is their critique is that it, it gives the wrong impression because uh, because actually African-Americans are more likely to be uh, involved in officer uh, involved shootings. So it's you know, there, there's something I'll just give you the quote. Cause I know that sounds a little weird. Whereas law enforcement officers with guns are depicted as diverse, good guys. Those who are shot on TV are typically nameless bad guys who are perhaps surprisingly predominantly white. This is an accurate representation of gun casualties masks and distorts the ways in which shootings by law enforcement disproportionately affect communities of color. I would like, the, reality, I would like their source on that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I would like to hear their source on that. Cause I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, I mean, this is a study that was, I believe they're citing their own 
uh, USC study for this. Of course they are. In reality, this violence is far from colorblind. Black Americans are three times more likely to be killed at the hands of law enforcement. So their critique here is that bad guys on in police shows are, are too often portrayed as white. Mm. And it's, it's kind of, some of it's kind of counter intuitive. Uh, yeah. But some, like there's some things that are probably common that, where there's some common ground, even police use of force. There's some critiques you can make because often they'll, there's a lot of sort of revenge killing in TVs and movies. Right. And it's not only portrayed as morally good, but also often legal, legal, even yeah. though it's not remotely, uh, you know, a lot of defense in TVs and movie are whether by police or, or regular people, regular characters uh, doesn't comport with actual, you know, law, <laughs> uh, self-defense laws or otherwise use of force restrictions. But, but then, you know, they take that stuff where there's some common ground or suicide representation. And then there's, all the other stuff that we just mentioned here that where they heavily cite gun control groups or make some pretty uh, controversial claims about police and race um, that I think probably will greatly limit how much impact this can have beyond people who already agree with the gun control groups and USC on this front. Yeah. Let me close with this. This is just me editorializing now. Does anyone really believe, including these people in the gun control community, do they really believe that the next mass shooter is going to see a more responsible use of guns in a movie or a TV show and be like, nope, I'm actually, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I've changed my mind uh, and I'm not going to go shoot up a school. It's preposterous. Folks, that is our time. If you are lamenting the lack of down the middle, sane, sober reporting on the Second Amendment and all things gun related. Go over to thereload.com. That's thereload.com. And consider getting a membership. Stephen relies on your membership dues to, to fund his important work. He has no sponsors, at least not yet anyway. Uh, so you guys are it. And we want to make sure that that, uh, that site and his, as I call it now, his media empire continues to grow. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Stephen, as always, sir, you have the last word. Absolutely. 